All right, so I didn't make the team, okay? I did not make the cut, just so you know. I'm gonna be here on Sundays. But it's where I wanna be. I wanna be here on Sundays, because you know this is honestly the greatest team ever in all of history. And that's what the body of Christ is. It really is about being a part of a team that is larger than any one person. And together, we really are doing together the things that really do matter, the things that last forever. And so as we begin Ephesians chapter 4, we've been going line by line through this book of Ephesians. We begin a brand new series because Ephesians chapter 4 is really a study on the church. As the Apostle Paul tells us increasingly about what it means to be a part of this body called the Bride of Christ the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this series, I want you just to start thinking in these terms that it really is more than Sundays. And a lot of people think, well, the church is just about Sundays. And uh, being a part of the church is just about Sundays. But I want you to think that every time you see a Chiefs game this fall, I want you to think this. You know, it's more than Sundays. And just like those professional football players have no off-season, uh, we have no off-season. Uh, they are preparing 365 for 16 regular season games. I want you to see every day for us is game day, not just Sunday, because being a Christian is about more than Sundays. And that's what the Apostle Paul is going to teach us and tell us in Ephesians chapter 4 as we get going. Ephesians 4 verse 1. Are you ready for this? Say team. All right, here we go. Verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, anytime you're studying Scripture and you see this word, therefore, you need to stop and ask, what's that, therefore? Because you, you want to go back up above it and see it's connected. Therefore. Well, so what did Paul get done saying? You remember when we landed last week in Ephesians chapter 3? At the very end, the Apostle Paul said in verse 20 of Ephesians 3, he said, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Now to him be glory in the church. And so the apostle Paul told us we have the power of God living in us. The spirit of God came to reside in us. And not only does he reside in us individually, but he resides in us corporately as one body. And we sat down and we got on our knees last week. Remember what we prayed last week in unison as a unified body? Body. We prayed for the power of God to be in our church, that we could give God greater glory. And that's what Paul said in verses 20 and 21. The power of God is in us, now to him be glory in the church. And so Paul now says, therefore, because we have the power of God in us, and it's all for his glory that the world would see him in all of his fame. He says, listen, therefore, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, I beseech you, or I urge you strongly. That word beseech means I'm strongly urging you to walk worthy of the calling which where you were called. He says, I want you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. What's it mean to walk worthy of the calling? It means to establish a great worth and value to our salvation. In other words, if you have salvation and God has called you now as a Christian, he says walk worthy of your calling. I would suggest one of the problems in modern Christianity is the church has very little at times credibility because we have failed to walk worthy of our calling. 
The church at time has, has brought Jesus great shame instead of great fame. And so he's going to talk about how the church can bring him great fame. Fame to his name instead of shame to his name. That's how we walk worthy of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says this. You want to walk worthy of your calling with which you are called. He says walk with all lowliness, that's humility, and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first thing Paul talks about in this little study of the church, what we call ecclesiology, and the study of the church, what's it mean now that we are one body? The first thing he talks about now is our unity, team unity. It's what every team talks about. Now all the coaches I can guarantee in the locker room are talking about having one unified front and coming together because we're better together. And that's all the, the talks the coaches are right now giving each of these teams. It's about having unity and chemistry in the locker room because, listen, if you have unity in the locker room, it's going to show up on the field when you play too. And so he says, listen, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I want you to remember something. This is not the field on which the church plays. This is just the locker room. I mean, when you come to church on Sunday, this isn't really game day. This is just kind of training day. This is the locker room, if you want to look at it that way. The game's not in here. The game is out there. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If we want to be the church, one body, and walk worthy and bring great fame to his name, then we need to first start by talking about team unity, unity in the body. And that's what Paul begins this chapter with. Listen, the early church was known for their incredible love for each other and the unity they shared together. Early Christianity was like a fire that spread rapidly through dry timber. I mean, it was an unstoppable move of God. It's amazing what the early church did in just less than even a century, how they completely penetrated every crevice and every corner of the Roman Empire and Roman society. And part of the reason why social scientists have actually gone back and looked at this movement known as Christianity, a movement that is still changing the world all these years later, by the way. And one of the things they, they note is the unity of the early church. It was because there was a unified movement. The church had not yet been fractured and divided and subdivided. There was this unity within the body, and that unity is why Christianity got such traction so quickly within Roman society. It's what they were known for, but I want you to see over and over again as you read the book of Acts, which is kind of the record of the early church, you see certain phrases over and over again. They were of one mind. They were of one accord. Uh, for example, Acts 4.32, now the multitude of those who believed were of of one heart. Hey, that's a miraculous statement right there. The multitude were of one heart. I'm going to tell you why that's a miraculous statement because, you know, where Jesus said, where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Let me tell you what else is usually in the midst of them where two or three are gathered in his name. Uh, when you have two people in the room together, you've got potential for conflict. Did you know that? Hey, I remember in the early days of our church, I mean, the early, early days of our church, uh, we only had three full-time staff members, me, myself, and I. Let me tell you, we had the best staff meetings. We always agreed. I mean, we always thought it was a good idea. Nobody ever had a bad idea. It was amazing, really. But then what happens? You start adding some more individuals. I mean, this is why sometimes just having the two of you in marriage 
And I know a lot of singles come to our church, and a lot of singles can't wait to get married. You know what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7? Being single is a gift. You know why it's a gift? Because you never get in an argument with yourself. Yeah, you never have a bad Saturday that got off on the wrong side of the bed. You know what I'm saying? You just, it's easy to get along with yourself. Add one person to the equation, now it's not quite as easy to get along. Get what I'm saying? This is what makes this a miracle. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 people were added to the church. We're talking about a multitude. By the time of Acts 4, thousands and thousands, ten thousands and thousands, yet they were of one accord. They were of one heart. It's says they were of one soul. Neither did anyone say of the, of the things that they possessed was his, but they had all things common. I mean, how must have been those early days, this multitude, this mass of humanity that was moving together in complete unity. You can see why they changed their cities. They changed their countries. They changed society. They changed the world. I want you to see the power of the early church was in their unity. And I would suggest nothing has changed in the 21st century. The power of the church is in our unity. When we move together, when we walk together, when we march together, I want you to see when we worship together, God is most glorified, God is magnified, God is enlarged. We're walking worthy of our calling. Why? Because when we walk in unity, we're walking worthy and we bring great fame to his name. But when a church is not unified, in other words, if a church is not not united and it's divided, instead of bringing fame to his name, we bring shame to his name. And I would suggest that is what has happened over and over again in the last 2,000 years. You see, many churches today are short-circuiting God's power because of division and dissension. And we just learned last week, remember, the power of God lives within us. The church is the conduit of the Holy Spirit. And the power of God lives in all of us. But listen, when a church is not unified because of division or dissension, it shorts out God's power by quenching God's spirit. Now, a lot of you aren't really maybe an electrician, and I'm certainly not an electrician, but I know what happens when you plug something in to the power source. You plug it into the outlet. It's supposed to give power, in this case, maybe a lamp to bring light, yes? But if you've got a short in that cord, in other words, you've got a kink in it, or for some reason there's a short in it, all of a sudden it's plugged into the power, but it shorts out. And in some way, this is what Jesus was talking about. In Matthew chapter 5, he said the church is the light of the world. He said in Matthew 5, 16, he said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Even so let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, a lot of you thought, well, Christmas has come to the summer. No, the, the, this is not about, hey, uh, we're going to be at Christmas before we know it, but I'm not trying to get in the Christmas spirit. Okay, relax. Uh, let's enjoy our summer, what we have left, yes? But in some way, this is what Jesus was talking about, the church is the light of the world. Individually, we all got one little itty-bitty light to shine. Some of you are going to be singing that song the rest of the day. <laughs> Go ahead, this little light of mine. Oh, a bunch of Sunday school kids, I can tell. Okay. That's where we got one little light to shine. But look, corporately, together, 
We can shine brighter together. The church is meant to shine the light of God bright and shine white. And I'm trying to tell you that we have the chance to shine brighter and farther and wider than ever before. We all have one little light to shine. But when we put our lights together, we can light up the darkness of our world. But I want you to see that just like this cord is a conduit for the power, that these bulbs have no power source in themselves. If they are not plugged into the power source, the Holy Spirit is the power source. The Holy Spirit is the power source of the church. It's the power source of our life. And if you're not plugged into the power source, you've got no light to shine. You have no light in yourself. What happens so much of the time in churches, instead of shining together because of division or dissension, all of a sudden there's a short circuit and we don't shine quite as bright And uh, Satan has run this play over and over again in the life of the church. It's when we no longer are moving in unity in a way that we're walking worthy. We're doing everything for God's glory. And all of a sudden it becomes about me. And that's what happens in a lot of churches where before it was all about God's glory and we're reaching outwardly and our focus on our city. All of a sudden the focus becomes on me and it becomes all about me. And the church becomes just bless me, help me, give me, serve me. What do you got for me? And uh, well, that. That's not my music, and they took away my Sunday school class, and this ministry is for me. And I want you to see, ultimately, when it becomes about me, and the church is now becoming self-focused, and we do things self-centeredly, and there's division, and there's dissension, all of a sudden, the lights begin to go out, and that's what happens over and over again in the average church in America, because we start thinking, it's all about me, instead of all about we, and all about his glory. Glory, all of a sudden the light can't shine quite as bright because we have short-circuited the power, the power of God. All of a sudden the light that we were meant to shine for Jesus has been turned off. And that, you see, is what Satan has done over and over again. Listen carefully. Nowhere in church history has outward persecution destroyed the church. But what Satan cannot accomplish outwardly, he's done over and over again inwardly. See, Satan cannot destroy the church on the outside, yet in America, he is destroying the church on the inside. Our biggest threat is not what happens out there. Our biggest threat is what happens in here. We've seen the enemy, and he is we. (laughs) We, at times, are our own worst enemy. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. We need to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I want you to notice something. We don't have to get the unity. We just have to guard the unity. God's already given us unity as one body. But it's up to us to keep it. It's not up to us to get it. And so that's why he says, listen, as we go in the study of the church, let's endeavor to keep it because God's already given it. And I want you to see the number one tactic of the enemy, what he could not do through persecution, he does over and over again through infiltration, deception, erosion, division, dissension, and that is why we live at a time where the church in America, I'm convinced, is not shining the light quite as bright as it used to. You see, ultimately, when a church is not unified because of division or dissension, it shorts out God's power by quenching God's spirit. And you see, I want I want you to see that this is not working. I don't know why. We're going to keep pushing until it does. Pray for the power source. We are shorted out. We have short-circuited the power. The power's back on. 
Philippians 2, 2, you see this over and over again in the New Testament. Over and over again, you see this admonition. Paul said to the Ephesians, now he says it to the Philippians, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. How do we bring God great joy and walk in a way that is worthy of our calling? By being like-minded by being of one heart, by being of one accord. You see, unity on the part of God's people is a prerequisite for God's power to be poured out upon the church. On the day of Pentecost, you had 120 people in this upper room, and for 50 days, they were praying in unity as one body. For 50 days, they had a prayer meeting. We want the power of God. Listen, it's hard to pray for five minutes. What if we were to pray for 50 days as one body? Just imagine the possibilities. And because they were praying in unity of one heart and one spirit, then was God's spirit poured out upon them. You see, sometimes I hear people say, well, we need to pray and ask for God's spirit to unite us so God's spirit can be poured out on us. That's really great, but it's just opposite. You see, God's spirit is poured out on us because we're united. It's not poured out on us to unite us, but rather it's poured out because. You see, God's spirit doesn't come to make us united. God's spirit comes because we're united. The spirit of God lives within all of us. That's the supernatural element. Listen, our power is not outwardly. Our power is not in technology. Amen? I mean, if this ever quits working, relax. I can go old school. That's why I still keep this book up there. If I have to read old school, I can. I can still do that. What you're reading on the screen is the same as what you're reading in here, right? We can go old school. I've thought about, like, if we ever lose the power, let's say, in a storm, and we completely lose electricity, guess what we're going to do? We're going old school, and I'm going to preach without a mic. I guarantee you'll be able to hear me anyway. That's right. They had the old-time revival, Great Awakenings, First Great Awakening, Second Great Awakening. It's believed that they could speak to almost 5,000 people in one place. I think we can do this if we have to. See, our power is not in modern technology. Our power is not in church methodologies. Our power is not because we are so, so gifted in terms of our skills intellectually. Our power comes from the Holy Spirit. It's Holy Spirit power. And I want you to see, though, that ultimately the Spirit of God comes and moves in greater ways. And a week ago, we prayed that God would move in greater ways. A week ago, we prayed a prayer of surrender because I said last week, to the degree you fully surrender is the degree God releases his power. And I want you to understand that ultimately what this means is that as a body is unified, he pours out his power in greater ways. God's Spirit comes because we're united. God's Spirit doesn't come simply to unite us. You see, what we're learning is we have to guard ourselves from anything that could threaten the unity of the church. Now, I want you to think about what threatens the unity of any church, not just our church, but the church. I'm going to tell you, over 2,000 years of church history, the church has been divided over and over again, not usually based on things of great weight and relevance, not usually because of matters of deep doctrine. I'll say most of the time the church divides over things that are matters of opinion. 
Not matters of deep doctrine, deep relevance, matters of opinion, personal preferences, personal traditions, pet doctrines. I want you to see how the church divides now even at times. And the world tries to divide us when God has said he's united us. Think about this. The church is divided over and over again over politics. Politics has been allowed to divide the church. You know what? I care about what happens in Washington. I care about what happens in that house, but I care a lot more about what happens in this house. Do you understand that politics do not shape the moral climate of a nation? Politics merely reflects the moral climate of a nation. It's not in that house, but this house. You see, ultimately, what shapes the moral and spiritual climate of the nation is the church house. It's our house. And that's why in the end, I don't care about your politics. And the church is divided at times, and they put us in these little categories and subcategories. Well, you've got those on the right, you've got those on the left. You've got Democrats, you've got Republicans. You know, you've got black people, white people. You've got these kind of people, those people. And I want you to see what we've learned is that God has united us. And we as a church, I'm telling you, it's increasingly a thing of beauty, and we're shining brightly in our city. And one of the amazing things happening in our church specifically is we come from a lot of different places around the city I mean it's amazing honestly to consider it's it's almost like first century Christianity because in the first century you saw people sitting in the same place in a place of complete equality Galatians 3 28 there's neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female we're all one in Christ Jesus the church is a place that everybody comes regardless of the part of their city or what you bring uh, demographically or who you are racially or in your ethnicity or your economic ability you see the church is a thing of beauty because we walk in unity we're out there there's all this division and all these categories and all these subcategories it's a thing of beauty you know why? Because in this very service, watch this. We have people in this service today that have come to worship at Abundant Life from the urban core of Kansas City and as far away as rural Cass County and Johnson County, Missouri. I'm talking, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. It's a thing of beauty. See, that's called walking worthy. We're not going to divide over all the categories and divisions and, and let people put us in these little pockets of, of uh, subcategories in the body of Christ. There's something that transcends all of that, and it's Jesus. It's our common belief, common worship, common faith in a common Savior that transcends what anybody thinks politically or what anybody believes personally. It transcends opinions. It transcends my pet doctrines. It transcends denominations and church traditions. You see, ultimately, we have to guard ourselves against all of that to walk worthy of our calling. Now, look at what he says. How do we do this? How do we walk worthy of our calling and keep the unity which is such a thing of beauty in this age where there's so much hostility and animosity in the world. He says this, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. You know what Paul's dealing with here? He's talking about attitudes because our attitudes is what leads to actions. He says, first of all, we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace when we walk in lowliness, what is lowliness? That's humility. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 is something I'm personally trying to walk out in my life. It's what God is, God is, God is using Philippians 2, 3, and 4 this year in my own life. It says, 
says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, there's humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not on your own interest, but on the interest of others. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. I can't tell you how many times in church life we start looking on our own interests, what I want, instead of the interest in others, what's best for the body. See, as a pastor, I'm always thinking in terms of one thing. What is best for the body? Now, I care about you specifically. I really do. I care about you deeply, individually. I surely do. I promise you I do. But if I have to choose between what is best for you specifically, individually, or what is best for the body corporately, I'll always choose what is best for the body. Now, at times, there's a real sense of tension. You know why? Because in in my life, personally, you know, I'm what they call a people person. It means I like people, believe it or not. I like people. I like most people. Some of you, I'm not sure, but I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I like all of you. I do, I do, I really do. What that means is, listen, there's always this tension like for a people person to become a people pleaser. That's right. And the average pastor becomes a people pleaser because they're by nature a people person. I'm just trying to tell you, I got over a long time ago being a people pleaser because you can't be a God pleaser and always be a people pleaser. You tracking with me? So each of us have to think not just about what's best for me, and every time we make a change in a church, and by the way, our church has gone through so many changes so many times, healthy things grow, growing things change. And every time we have to make a change, the first thing the average person thinks of is how does this affect me? And that's why change is so hard sometimes in church life, right? People are so resistant to change because how does this affect me? And what if we all started thinking about not just how does this affect me, but how does this impact the body? See, all of a sudden, it's not a bless me club. Bless me, give me, serve me. What do you got for me? You see, humility says, I'm gonna think about others before I think about myself. I'm gonna think about what's best for them before I think about what's best for me. Humility says, I'm not the number one priority. Other people are the priority. I'm gonna look on their interests, not just my interests. Here's another one, gentleness. This word gentle in the Greek is the word that Romans used when they thought about breaking a stallion, a broken stallion, one that could now be bridled, one that could now be ridden, was called a gentle stallion. Now understand the implication. That stallion still had all the same strength and all the same power, but now it was broken. Now it was gentle. It didn't stop having that strength, but now it was meek. It was not weak. And this speaks of Jesus specifically. Listen, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is power under control. You know the power you have inside of you. You got the power of God inside of you. You are strong and you are a danger to the enemy. You are armed and dangerous. Listen, but that power is under control. See, Jesus was both a lion and a lamb. As the lamb, he came to serve and he came to suffer. But as the lion, he is a warrior and he's coming back someday to conquer. And there is a time to serve and suffer, and then there's a time to go to war. 
You see, as Christian men and Christian women, I'm telling you, in the heart of every Christian is both a lion and a lamb. You can't be all lamb and you can't be all lion. You see, it's power under control. It's having a spirit of gentleness. Uh, Lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering. Hey, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. That's one of our superpowers we talked about last week, the ability to suffer long. And let's be honest, there are some people that make us suffer long. Anybody know anybody like that? Don't point. Just keep your eyes straight ahead. Yeah, there are some people, honestly, they're, they just, they're gonna cause you to suffer, but what do you do? Listen, it's a supernatural ability to bear with one another. What's it mean to bear with one another? Sometimes you just gotta put up with each other. It means just bearing with one another, putting up with one another. There are people that just, at times, are gonna get under your skin. Uh, the mannerisms or, you know, just the personality friction or whatever it is. Hey, he says, bearing with one another in love. Here's the reality. Love is unconditional. Uh, love is not conditional. Love puts no strings on if you act like me, if you make me feel good, if you agree with me. If I've got to agree with you to love you, that's not love at all. See, real love is when we can love each other in spite of each other, not because of each other. Real love is when we love each other even when we don't agree with each other. That's real love. See, that's what Paul is now saying. This is how we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How can we do this and why? He says in verse four, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, and one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We are united because we share the same faith and the same Savior by the same spirit as members of the same family with the same father. Whatever we disagree on, that's what we agree on and that is why we can have unity for whatever we may disagree on because we have one faith. We're members of one family. We have one savior. We have one father. We've been baptized into the body by one spirit. You see, that's what brings us together. That's what keeps us together and if that can't keep us together, nothing else will ever. See, we can't unite on personal opinion. We have to unite around our mission. See, an opinion is just that. It's an opinion. There's no right one. There's no wrong one. We're not talking about matters of absolute truth here. Personal opinion. Uh, I personally believe, my personal opinion, is that the very best ice cream flavor is Rocky Road. It's my opinion. I'm entitled to it. Matt, what's your favorite flavor? What is it? Mint. We already have church division. There it is. Divided, no longer unified. Hey, you're, you're entitled to your opinion. I disagree, but it's your opinion. I'm, you, that, that's the nature of an opinion, yes? See, here's the point. There are matters of more weight than maybe the flavor of ice cream, but that's just what it is, opinion. We can't unite around opinion. There's too many of them. We unite around mission. And that's what Paul is now saying. He says we're unified by our common faith and our common cause. We're unified by our faith and we're unified by our cause. What is our cause? Our mission as a church to see lives changed by Jesus. That's what unites us. 
We're unified by our mission and our vision. What's our vision? To be a living proof of a loving God to watching world. We can't be a living proof of a loving God to watching world if we're divided. Now here's the reality. Satan knows that human beings are gonna fight. He knows we're gonna fight. His purpose has always been to keep us so busy fighting each other that we don't unite to fight him together. See, that's always been a strategy. And I want you to see it's more important than ever on essential beliefs, we have that we, we have to agree we have unity. There are essential beliefs of Christianity, the historic beliefs of the historic Christian faith. What would they be? Biblical inerrancy, uh, Christ's deity, the blood atonement of Calvary, that he was resurrected bodily, that he's coming back someday to rule and reign eternally. These are essential beliefs of Christianity. Those essentials are what we agree on. That's what unites us. We walk in unity around those essentials. But there's a lot of non-essentials. I'll just call them peripherals, things that I might be really passionate about, I personally might have a real conviction about, but while I might have a conviction over certain doctrines, I'm not personally gonna use those doctrines for division. And that's why some have said on essentials we have unity, on non-essentials we have liberty. We've got to give each other a chance to agree or disagree and not divide over everything. Seriously, you see there are non-essential beliefs on which we can agree to disagree and still have unity. Unity does not demand complete uniformity. Okay? It doesn't demand complete uniformity. I'm not automatically offended if you disagree with something I say. Because God has given you a brain and you the Holy Spirit and the same Holy Spirit he's given me. It's okay in certain areas for you to disagree. I'm not gonna demand complete uniformity. There's certain things God's gotta show you on your own, certain things God's gonna do in my life and show me on my own, and we're all growing differently at a different pace and a different rate. We gotta give each other some space and give each other some grace. Uh, and so what are some non-essentials? I'm convinced the older I get, there's more non-essentials. They're important. Anything in the Bible is important, but they're not absolute essential foundation Christian doctrine. Like I love studying eschatology. That's the study of prophecy. And I'm personally convinced that Jesus is coming for the bride. It's called the rapture of the church. And I'm still convinced it's pre-tribulational, like before the tribulation, the seven years. Now there's a lot of people here, I know you've been taught a mid-trib rapture. Some have been taught a post-trib rapture like it is okay it's okay because someday I'm going to see you in the air and I'm going to say I told you so <laughs> and if I'm wrong and I find us in the middle of the tribulation somewhere I'll say I'm sorry I was wrong yep I was wrong about that one okay I might be wrong about that one I'm just telling you I might be wrong about it I could be I don't think I am that's how we have, we have to hold some things loosely. Uh, we come from a lot of different places denominationally. Understand a church of our size, we come from a lot of different places from the born and bred Baptist to the cradle Catholic to the Pentecostal, the Presbyterian, the former Lutheran, mainline Protestant. We come from a lot of different places denominationally and our background spiritually and that is why we have to unite as one body around the essentials of the faith. Don't use your pet doctrine to sow dissension. Like, if you believe the gift of tongues is for the day, I'm not going to argue that strongly. I don't have that time to argue about that one seriously. But don't bring it, don't, don't try to use it to bring division in here. See? 
Being filled with the Spirit that we talked about last week. What is the manifestation being filled with the Spirit? It's not the gift of tongues. Being filled with the Spirit means you have the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. That's how you know somebody is filled with the Spirit because they have the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. See, we're not gonna try to unite around these peripheral doctrines. And so don't use a pet doctrine or your personal tradition to sow division. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Any attitude or action that causes disunity is sin. That's the issue. Anything we do that would cause disunity in the body is a sin. That's the real issue. Our unity is because, listen, we are one body. And I would suggest we're living in a time where this matters more than ever. I don't know if you heard, but our church made the paper this week. We prayed a week ago that God would give us the ability to bring him more glory. And the next day, we make the paper. And if you hadn't heard, what happened was the Lee Summit Schools is gonna use our auditorium for their convocation. They chose not to use our auditorium because certain members of the LGBT community protested certain employees they had in the school district, and so they ended up moving that meeting off-site, which is fine, like, it's okay. We were just trying to be generous anyway. If you don't want to use our, it's fine, seriously, no offense. But of course, then the media picked up on it, and the entire rest of the week became a complete distortion, a misrepresentation, if not complete character assassination. So for clarity, let me just say with clarity, we don't care who you are, where you've been, how much you've sinned, you are welcome to attend our church. For, just for clarity. There are gay and lesbian people that have come to our church and they've come for years. There are many moms and dads in our church with gay and lesbian children. We love your children. We love gay and lesbian people. You're welcome here, we love you. And many of you have come for many years. It's an honor to be your pastor. Just for clarity. And it's important you know that, I'll tell you why. Because if you live in the city, you can avoid our church building, but you can't avoid our church body. Because it's more than Sundays. And this week, we're sending at least 200 members of our church that are employed by the Lee Summit School District, teachers and support staff, we're sending you back to school. We're sending abundant life to Lee Summit Schools. We're sending about 1,000 of our children to Lee Summit Schools. You see, it's more than Sundays. You can avoid our building, you can't avoid our church body. Tomorrow morning, we're sending our church to places like Cerner and Sprint, Black and Veatch, Burns and McDonald. You see, you can avoid our building, but you can't avoid our church. It's more than Sundays, we take the church with us. And what does that mean? It means we are there for one reason, to be ambassadors of Christ, to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And I want you to understand that we live at a time where people want the grace of God, but they don't want the truth of God. And Jesus twice, we're told, was a man full of grace and truth. And that means if we're full of Jesus, we're gonna be full of grace and truth. 
And that's why Paul would say, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Sometimes our speech is too much salt and just seasoned with grace. Let's make sure that we have the right position and the right disposition. We're gonna love everybody, regardless of what they say about us, regardless of what they do to us. We're gonna love everybody. That's what it means to be a living proof of a loving God to a watching world. And church, let me just say, some of us here have unplugged, honestly, like you still come to church, but you have unplugged at some time from the church because you were hurt by the church. Can I just say, for all the ugly things that were said about me this week by people that don't even know me, some of those hurtful things that have ever been said about me are not people outside the church. In 19 years, it's been by people in the church. Have you been hurt from the church? I have too. But you know what? The church is still the conduit of the Holy Spirit and it's time to plug back in. I'm asking you to get plugged back in. Some of us have unplugged from the church. Honestly, we still come to church, but the church is something you are. It's not something you go to. There's a chance to reconnect in September with Group Connect so that we can shine the light of God together and we can do it together much brighter and much farther and much wider than we could ever do apart. And it's time to turn the lights back on, this little light of mine, I've got one life to shine, but I can shine so much brighter and so much wider when I walk in unity with the body. And I want you to see we have this amazing opportunity and I want you to know that we live at a different time than ever in American history. What happened this week is only a snapshot of things to come. The church has lost the home field advantage. We believe what Christians have always believed for 2,000 years. We haven't changed our mind because God hadn't changed his. But you need to understand we're an anomaly. And that means there's gonna be a call to suffering. 2 Timothy 3, 2, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Not everyone is gonna like us for what we believe. Guess what? They crucified the Christ, the Son of God. Where does that leave you and me? There are some things worse. And I would rather have the reputation of heaven than the reputation of this world. The reputation of heaven will last far longer, it will last forever. This world is fleeting and it's dying. So let's shine bright. Let's endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace because Satan's number one method of destroying the work of Christ is to divide the body of Christ. Jesus, I pray for this body and bride that you would help us to shine bright to shine the light into the darkness of our day. God, help us to love those who would perceive us as their enemy. Help us, Lord, to love them unconditionally. To be a blessing to our city. To continue to love and support our schools in our school district as we leave this place today and the church goes with each of us, help us to be ambassadors 
wherever we are gonna be tomorrow, in whatever workplace, in whatever school, help us to remember that being a Christian is more than Sundays, in Jesus' name, amen. Part of our union is in our communion, and that's what we're gonna do right now. We're gonna take up the Lord's Supper. You might know this is communion in your church tradition. I'm gonna ask the men and women that are gonna be serving the elements if you would come right now. And if indeed you are a believer and part of the body of Christ because you placed your faith in what Jesus did at Calvary, you're welcome at the Lord's table. You're welcome to partake. If you're not a believer, we're so glad that you're here, but this isn't really for you. Jesus said this do in remembrance of me. And so on the night before his death, he instituted this ceremony to remember what he would do when he poured out his life at Calvary, that he'd give his body to be broken, he'd give his blood to cleanse us of our sin. So today is the day we're gonna remember him. Jesus, I pray for every person here that you'd help us to walk worthy of this calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead. crowned with glory now the Savior knelt to wash our feet now at his feet we bow the one who Christ our King, your name, your name. 
The Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should have a time of self-examination, personal confession, lest we eat or drink in an unworthy way. So would you do that right now, right where you sit? Take a moment, confess any sin that maybe you've harbored, that you've allowed in your life before you eat and drink in an unworthy manner. Jesus, we thank you. We have that promise of 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We pray that we could be a pure, holy bride, the bride of Christ, that this bride would be chaste and pure at abundant life. Jesus took the bread as he took the Last Supper. He would say this body is a symbol of his body. This bread is a symbol of his body that would be broken. He said this is the bread of life in John chapter 6. His body, the sinless sacrifice, would be beaten and bruised nailed to a cross. He said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. Take, eat, in remembrance of me. And then it says, Jesus would take the cup. He said, this cup is in the New Testament in my blood. Just do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you and we remember that on the cross you poured out your life for our sin. You gave your body to be broken and bruised. You were flogged to buy our freedom. You were pierced to ease our pain. And by your stripes we are healed, forgiven, born again. We thank you for redemption, for salvation. Now help us to walk worthy of that calling as a Christian as we take the church with us this week, everywhere we go, to the places of employment, to the schools, the institutions of education, our neighbors, our neighborhoods, and around the world, help us be a witness of the living God that lives in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you give Jesus the glory today? Praise him, would you? God bless all of you. I love you very, very much. I hope you have a really blessed, wonderful Sunday. God bless you. God go with you.